You know, as we look at the incredible pain and difficulty and chaos our world is in today, Jesus taught us as his followers how to pray during these type of times. He told us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Revelation chapter 7 gives us a picture of heaven. It says, after these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, all tribes, all peoples, all tongues were standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Again, thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Amen. Well, today we're looking at a passage of the Bible that I think speaks to something every human heart needs, every society needs. It's the ability to see things from God's perspective. In fact, that's one of the things that followers of Jesus are able to do. They're able to see circumstances and see God's unique perspective to the challenges before them. Now, you remember Jonathan? Where everyone else saw fear and anxiety, Jonathan saw a cliff that he could climb several chapters ago. A couple chapters from now, everyone else is going to be shaking in their boots as they see Goliath, but David sees an opportunity for God to bring about victory. What does it look like for us to see the way God sees? A few weeks ago, I was talking to Tammy. She was in a Bible study. and She was in a Bible study with a group of women who were learning how to pray how to become women of prayer. One of the women in the group said that she wasn't exactly sure how to pray. In fact, she hadn't really prayed a lot or gotten into the habit of prayer, even going back many, many years to the mid-90s when she lost her entire family in a car accident. Brother, father, and mother. So she's looking forward to connecting with God in a new way, learning how to reach out to him in a fresh way. But she wasn't sure how to start. She got into this Bible study and she said, you know what I want to do? I want to I reach it out and, and grab my father's old Bible. She hadn't touched it since he'd passed away. So sure enough, she went into the study. She grabs dad's Bible and she opens it up. Hadn't opened that thing since the accident. And inside that Bible was a note. And the note was written from her dad that said, Father, I don't know how to pray, but I want to learn and I want to know and be able to trust you to take care of me and take care of my family. She says it was such a gift that by entering into the spirit of prayer and learning how to pray, God reconnected her to her father, her father's heart, and his desire to connect with his heavenly father as well. God may have a gift for you, a surprise for you when you begin to draw near to him. 
That's what we're going to find today in 1 Samuel chapter 16. It's really powerful. Samuel's about to anoint a brand new king in David. And when he does, he's got this really cool phrase he says. Here it is in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance, his outward appearance, his physical stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So today we're going to look at two characters, Samuel and Saul. Samuel is able to see like God sees, and Saul is blinded to what God sees. And I hope that you'll be able to see where God is at work in the circumstances all around you. Let's begin by looking at Samuel. Again, like I mentioned, Samuel is able to see what God can see in several different ways. He can see God's work all around him when other people can't. What's the first way he does that? Well, the first way is he's able to see God's next yes instead of mourning over God's last no. Often God says no to us in different areas and we mourn that and that's understandable. We continue to mourn that. We continue to stare at that. We continue to be obsessed with his last no instead of moving forward to his next yes. Look how it happens in the passage. The Lord says to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? Remember last chapter? Sorry, Saul's disobeyed me. I'm washing my hands of him and it's time to move on. Well, Samuel's mourning. He's grieved over this and for understandable reasons. But God says, how long are you going to mourn after him, seeing that I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. It's time to move on. I got a next thing for you to do, a next yes for you. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears I'm about to anoint another king, he's going to kill me right? Now notice the word Bethlehem is mentioned here. This is the first time Bethlehem is mentioned since the book of Ruth. So this idea that God's providing an ultimate king in Jesus, an ultimate king born in Bethlehem is hinted here. But Saul's terrified, right? Not only am I not going to grieve over what happened in the past, you want me to go anoint another king when I got a very jealous, very angry king behind me? That's what's going on here in the passage. What does that look like for you and I? To say, God, what do you have next for me? What do you want me to trust you for as I look into the future? I think often we're staring at God's closed doors, grieving over something he said no to, rather than reaching out to what he might say yes to. And that's actually one of the marks of maturity. Maturity is recognizing the difference between a no and a not yet. Isn't that true with your kids? You say, well, not yet. Oh, I mean, it's no. No, it just means not yet. And with God, sometimes he closes one door in order to open another. I was down in uh, Nashville many, many years ago at a speaking conference. And the uh, comedian slash uh, speaker that was there, a man named Ken Davis, told a story I'll never forget. He said, let me tell you one of my most embarrassing moments. All right? He said, I walked into an elevator. I walked into the elevator. I was in a rush. I walked up. <coughs> Doors closed behind me. 
So I turn, staring at the doors. I hear the elevator begin to move. It goes up, up, up. It stops. It shakes a bit. I hear a noise like doors opening and closing, but I'm standing right next to the doors. They're not moving. I wasn't too concerned, but then it started moving again. And I'm staring directly at the doors. Sure enough, it stops. Rumble, rumble, rumble. And I hear the sound of the motors in the elevator door opening, but that door is not opening. Now I'm starting to panic. It goes up a little bit higher. Sure enough, I feel the motors moving. I'm thinking I'm stuck in this elevator and I'm staring at the door and again I hear the motors begin to turn but my, my elevator is not opening and I begin to panic. I begin to shout, help me, help me, get me out of here, I'm stuck in an elevator. As I begin to panic, as I begin to yell, as I begin to pound on the door, I feel a tap on my shoulder. I was in the elevator alone. Who's tapping on my shoulder? I turn around there's three people behind me. All of a sudden I realized this is one of those elevators that has doors on both sides. I had walked into the elevator, turned to face the front. Little did I know that every time we stopped, the other set of doors behind me was opening and people were getting on. And they thought I was crazy, staring at the back wall, pounding the door, thinking I was stuck and there was no way out. Now that's kind of the idea that Samuel's getting at here or God is with Samuel. You're so pounding the door of what I shut, of what I said no to, you're not turning around to see the opportunities and the community and the people I have right behind you. So think of that idea. Often we're staring at a closed elevator door when we need to turn around and see the opportunities all around us. All right, so there's three ways to see what God sees. The first is to not mourn God's no, but look forward to his next yes. Now, there's a second way that we can see the way God sees. We can say, God, I want to see the next puzzle piece, even if you don't show me the entire box top. That's exactly what happens here with Samuel. He says, God, show me the next puzzle piece, Oh, even if you're not going to show me the box stop. The Lord said, take a heifer. Here's the next piece. Here's your instructions. Take this piece. It's a heifer. And I want you to go and anoint a new king. Take the heifer with you and, I, and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. I know you're terrified. You got a jealous, angry, diabolical king who's trying to kill you. However, trust me. Take a heifer, go tell people you're going to sacrifice to the Lord. Then after you take that puzzle piece, after you do what I've told you to do, then I will show you what you shall do. To which I'm like, oh, why don't you show me now? Because I want you to trust me. I'll show you then and you're going to anoint for me the one I name to you. So that's the idea going on here, that he wants to see what God sees by taking that puzzle piece instead of looking for the whole box stop. Now, did you do puzzles growing up? I love doing puzzles with my grandfather. In fact, a lot of people have gotten back into puzzles recently because of all the time we've had at home. In fact, if you go to any puzzle store or you know, Walmart or, or toy store, the puzzles have been sold out for the last couple months. But first thing I do when I get a, a puzzle is we look at the box stop. 
what's this supposed to look like? And look for the edges. Look for the colors that go together, right? It's seeing the whole picture allows me to know what to do next. But God often hides the box top in life. Instead, he says, here's your next piece. Well, what is that? What are you doing with that? Take that piece, and here's the next one. Hook those together. All right. I don't see a lot of details. That's right. One piece at a time. It's this idea of God being our daily bread. I want you to trust me that I have a box top, even if I'm only handing you one piece at a time. I think that's the idea God has here. Samuel, I want you to trust me to take that heifer to go to the next step, to do the next right thing, even if you don't know exactly what I'm trying to do here. So that's the idea. So there's a third way, though, that we can see what God sees. Now, what's that? The third way is to see that God looks on the inside when man has a tendency to look on the outside. And God gives this incredible lesson to Samuel and says exactly that in the passage. You're not seeing things the way I see things. So the elders of the town, they trembled when they heard Samuel's coming to town. And they asked, do you come peaceably? So apparently Samuel's got a rep. Apparently when he comes to a lot of towns, it's like, you know, you're doing this wrong and you're doing that wrong. Time to clear the decks. So the elder's like, Samuel's coming to town. Do you come peaceably? And Samuel looks at him and smiles maybe and says, peaceably. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves. Come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and all of his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And here again, we see him taking that next piece God gave him and following along and trusting him. Now at this point, Jesse's coming along with all of his sons because he's been requested to, because the prophet has something to say. But seemingly, Samuel has not told them he's about to anoint a king. So it was that when they came, he looked at Eliab and said, wow, surely that's the Lord's anointed. That guy looks like a king. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his outward appearance or his physical stature. For I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You remember when they picked Saul? Said Saul was tall and handsome and he looked like a king. (laughs) The Lord's like, I'm looking for something deeper. I'm looking into the man's heart, his character. Don't be deceived by outward appearances. I'm trying to look at the inside of a person. I'm trying to find a man after my own heart. Samuel, learn to see circumstances, learn to see people the way I see people. So here comes this parade of sons. So Jesse calls Abinadab, all right? And made him pass before Samuel. He says, no, neither, uh, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, uh, no, Lord, Lord hasn't chosen that one. 
Then Jesse made seven of his sons. Da, 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 da. No, da, 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 da. No, da, da. Oh, no, 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 no. They all passed before Samuel. And Samuel says, the Lord has not chosen any of these, but he told me to come by. Uh, Jesse, uh, you got any more sons? And Jesse's like, well, yeah, I got the, the youngest, but we didn't even invite him. We didn't think he was important enough to invite to the party. You talk about a father not seeing in his own son what God sees. So look at how Samuel rebukes Jesse for not inviting his son to the sacrifice. Samuel says to Jesse, well, are all the young men here? He said, well, there remains yet the youngest. Doesn't even give him a name. The youngest, he calls David. Well, there he is way out there. He's keeping the sheep. Samuel says to Jesse, send and bring him. And we're not going to sit down until he's here. We're going to stand here if it takes hours or days. And maybe you should think about why you didn't think your son was important enough to invite. We're going to stand here and wait. <laughs> hours later, 12 hours later. <laughs> so this is this idea. Samuel's kind of put in motion this idea. Of, I, you're not seeing things the way God sees things. I want you to think about your son a little bit while we're standing here. No sitting down during this time. So he sent and brought him in and he was ruddy and bright eyes and good looking. And this wasn't the typical king. Many think he had red hair and maybe a little stocky or maybe a little small. And God wasn't looking at his physical stature or his, his outward appearance. God was looking at his heart. And as soon as he comes up to Samuel, look what happens. The Lord said, arise, anoint him. He's the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David. And from that day forward, and Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Wouldn't it be amazing to be there that day and to see David finally affirmed for who he is by the prophet of Israel? What does it mean to pour a horn of oil onto someone? Well, you know, archaeologists have actually found some of these horns from that time period. So imagine this type of a horn filled up with olive oil. And Samuel walks over to David, who's been mocked by his brothers, shunned often by his parents. He says, God's got a gift for you. Now, seemingly, he doesn't tell him he's anointing him king because Jesse doesn't seem to know and his brothers don't seem to know for the next couple chapters and years. But he pours that oil over his head. With the oil dripping down as a symbol of the Holy Spirit, Josephus tells us that he whispered in David's ear, you are now the Lord's king. Just imagine what that must have felt like, that God has seen your heart, heard the songs you've sang out in the pasture together, that God saw in you what the people around you didn't see in you. And one of my favorite stories is from Andrew Carnegie. Andrew Carnegie was asked by a newspaper reporter, how in the world do you have more millionaires working for you than have ever existed in human history? anywhere in the world. To which Andrew Carnegie said, well, they weren't millionaires until they started working for me. I developed them. 
Okay, so the thing about leadership and developing people is leadership is a lot like mining for gold. You got to be willing to move a lot of dirt to find a little bit of gold. Each person came to me, had rough edges, a lot of dirt, a lot of weaknesses. But that's the thing about leadership. You don't go looking for the dirt, but you're willing to move a lot of dirt to find a little bit of gold. I love that idea of seeing the potential, seeing the heart, seeing the, the, the resources that may be buried underneath bad habits in the people around us. That's what grace and mercy looks like. That's what the message of the Bible is like, right? God came to earth through the person of Jesus. He demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He wanted to redeem, to fully bring back that which was in us that might have been buried over by our sinful wayward tendencies, our rebellion and treasonous habits. God has always been seeing in a very unique way. So three ways we can see the way Samuel sees. But now, how do we avoid doing what Saul does? For Saul is blinded to what God sees. Saul is blinded to what God sees. Now what do I mean? Let me show you two symptoms that we're blind to the truth right in front of us. We often see the symptoms of things we've done wrong, but not the cause. And if we don't go deep enough to see the cause of why we're experiencing fear or depression or a distressing spirit, we're going to treat the symptoms and not the cause. And that's what Saul has here. He's blinded to the cause of his problems. See, the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. It's come upon David, but it's come away from Saul. So Saul no longer has God's protection. Now because of that, a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. Now this often shocks people that God would send a distressing spirit as if God is the author of evil. But we know God's not the author of evil. The idea seems to be, Saul, you've rebelled and rebelled and rebelled and you've pushed against me, so I'm removing my hand of protection and now a spirit's coming upon you. What spirit? Could be a spirit of depression, could be a spirit of consequences to your actions, but the goal of this spirit is to get Saul to recognize the cause of his problems is his rebellion and he needs to repent. So a distressing spirit from the Lord is troubling him and Saul's servants said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. So notice, even the people around him can see the truth. You know what's going on with you? You've got a distressing or a depressing spirit. And I think it's from God around you. Now he's not going to see that the reason he's distressed or stressed or depressed is because of his rebellion against God. Instead, he's going to see the symptoms. I see my fear and depression has nothing to do with how I acted or didn't act with God. That's the idea going on here. Now, have you ever met someone like that? Unfortunately, often as a pastor and a pastoral team, we're working with people in marriage crisis, people in personal crisis, who just can't see the truth in front of them. I had a friend recently um, who had a mutual acquaintance and this friend really prided themselves in their, their humility, their love of life, their, their, their love of people. 
And yet as you talk to the people around them, they would say, wow, there's a lot of exaggeration going on here. There's a lot of lying going on here. This story has moved from exaggerated to just completely not true. And so in a conversation, this friend was telling me that they brought up, hey, listen, you've been telling this story for a while, and you know what? I was there when that happened, and that's not exactly what happened. No, no, that is what happened. No, it wasn't. But this person had told that story 10, 20, 30 times and actually convinced themselves it was true, right? And as this friend was asking for advice, like, what do I do? What do I say? How do I help my friend who's seemingly lost in, in, in deception? I said, well, just keep lovingly and gracefully and kindly speaking both grace and truth. This friend was just grieving that their friend was slowly losing the ability to see what's true. And no matter how many facts they gave them, no matter how much data they brought to bear, no matter how many times they remind them I was in that moment, their friend just kept moving off track. And even as depression set in, even as friendships began to break up from this person, do you think they ever saw the cause might be them and they're lying or they're deceiving? No. It was always some obscure circumstance. They could never see the true cause. And if Saul is capable of this, and if our friends are capable of this, then we're capable of this. Say, God, help me see the cause of my consequences not just the symptoms. And when that happens, we move to our second issue. The second issue is we want temporary relief rather than dealing with our real need for repentance. You ever been there? You just want to not feel what you're feeling rather than looking at why you might be feeling while you're feeling. So Saul says to his servants, provide for me a man who can play well. Bring him to me. One of the servants answered and said, hey, look, I've seen the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Yeah, he's skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, handsome person, and man, the Lord is with him. Now here's what's going on. You're gonna see this later. Rather than dealing with the cause of his problems, Saul just wants to not feel what he's feeling. So he uses music, he'll use sex, he'll use demands and control to temporarily not think about his problem, but he never deals with the real issue. So he's looking for temporary relief versus repentance. He's gonna need a harder and harder hit of music. And that's what happens when anything turns into an addiction. When you use any substance or anything to keep from feeling a feeling you don't wanna feel, you're gonna need more of it next time, more of it next time, more of it next time. Because you're not dealing with the real problem. That's what happens here. So Saul sent the messengers, send me your son David, Jesse, who's with the sheep. And Jesse's always with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread and a skin of wine, a young goat, and sent him by his son David to Saul. So David came to Saul and stood before him. Now the music's gonna work and he's gonna find temporary relief for a while. David's an incredible player. God's using his skills in an amazing way to speak to his future father-in-law and future enemy. However, the music's gonna require longer playing each time to bring relief. And eventually Saul is gonna start blaming David for not playing well enough to deal with his symptoms. 
This is what happens when you seek relief over repentance. Eventually, that thing that gave you relief isn't working anymore. And Saul's gonna grab his spear and try and pin David to a wall twice because he's not giving me the relief I need. He's blinded. He's blinded to what God is doing and he's blinded to what's broken inside of his own heart. But what does it look like for you and I to work in a world with people who are blinded? Well, that's what I love what David does. David's got this amazing perspective of being used by God. What do I mean? Well, I think it's, the main thing I take out of this passage as I read it is that I want to be a source of refreshment to the people around me. Now, easy to say that about the people you love. God, make me a source of refreshment to my spouse, my kids, my boss, my employees. And those are good lists. What if also God calls you to be a source of refreshment to your enemies, Mm. your ex, oh, the person who stabs you in the back, oh, the person who disagrees with you politically, oh, what if God is calling you and I like David to use our gifts and talents to be a source of refreshment to the people around me? That's what happens here in verse 21. So we get to the end of the passage. It says, so David came to Saul. He stood before him and he loved him greatly and he became his armor bearer. So Saul sent to Jesse. So Saul is so impressed with this man's heart. Again, if you're David and Josephus whispered, you're the next king, this man's your competitor. But look at how he serves and loves Saul. And look at this next phrase. Saul said to Jesse, please let David stand before me for he has found favor in my sight. So it was that whenever the spirit from God was upon Saul, meaning that distressing spirit, David would take a harp and play it with his hand. He would play it so well that Saul would become refreshed and well and the distressing spirit would depart from him. You know, we can't control how people react. We can't control when people are stubborn or arrogant or self-deceived. But you know what we can do? We can say, God, what's in my hand? Skills, talents, ability to work with numbers, ability to empathize, the ability to cook. God, what do you, how can you use what's in my hand to refresh the people around me? Do you know people who need some refreshment? In fact, let me show you what a harp looks like. This is what an ancient harp looks like. David probably restrung that thing, retuned that thing a thousand times sitting out in the wilderness. Little did he know that all of that skillful playing, all of that time in the wilderness, God would use that so he could be a refreshment to the king of the whole nation someone who would eventually be his father-in-law and someone who would eventually be his enemy. What's in your hand? And when you look at the people around you, do you see people around you who are distressed, stressed out, angry, fearful, ticked off, short temper? 
And it's easy to get angry back. It's to get irritated back. What if you said, God, our nation's under so much chaos and stress, people losing jobs, people trying to get back into jobs, uh, injustices on the television, people's opinions on how to handle it. God, how can I take what's in my hands, the skills and talents you've given me, help me to see how I can use what you've given me to be a refreshment to the people around me. Do you know that's what we're about as a church? When I say we're trying to comfortably connect people to God, you know why? Because when you get comfortably connected to God through the Bible, you find a God who sees in a totally different way. A God who reaches out to us when we're in need, when we're just piled over in dirt to see our potential. A God who tells us, because I dug through the dirt to find the gold in you, I want you to be a refreshment to people who got a lot of dirt and they're treating you in a very unfair, unhealthy kind of way. Are you willing to use your harp to be a refreshment for other people? I hope so. In fact, we're at a very critical time in our church. We're about to relaunch. Details are coming probably in the next week. You get to see exactly what we're gonna do to try and meet the needs of our community and invite everybody back for our grand opening. And this is our opportunity to serve in ways we've never served before, to pray in ways we've never prayed before, to reach out in ways we've never reached out before. And if you're feeling God say, yeah, I got a harp, I can greet, I can serve, I can manage. I feel like I'm ready to go back and serve when you launch the children's ministry. Or I wanna run a camera. Or I wanna come in and put crafts together. I wanna to connect to a group. I've done a Zoom group, but I wanna get involved in a group that's meeting together in the next few months as we relaunch. Call the church office. And look for the newsletter as we go to our grand reopening or the details so that you can come. Maybe invite someone for the first time. And ask God, God, how can I be a, a source of refreshment to people around me? And that comes not just from trying harder, but from looking at what Jesus did for you. He was the ultimate one who refreshed his enemy. Who plays the harp, the beautiful song of salvation to us when we were under the consequences of our, own wrong, of our own wrongdoing. And maybe you'd like to hear the song of grace played on the heart by Jesus for you. You can invite that song into your own heart by praying words like this. Say, Father, thank you for finding me when I was lost. Thank you for dying for me when I was in a cave full of dirt. Thank you for being a source of refreshment and wellness to my soul. And show me someone I wouldn't expect in my life right now that you want me to be a source of refreshment for. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you all next week.